Welcome back, everybody, to Edge of the Rabbit Hole. I'm author and ghost historian Mike Ricksecker. With me, as always, my co-host is Victoria Monday. And down in the chat room, Alina moderating the chat. We have a fantastic show coming up for you tonight. Carl Johnson is in the house, renowned demonologist, author. have his book, Shadow Realms, right here. He's <laughs> been on uh, many of the various television shows and uh, he is part of the shadow dimension docuseries that we filmed uh, last september at least that part of it that segment and is going to be released here hopefully next month is what we're looking at so uh, uh you know i was really hoping that we were going to have that release that was the original plan to have that release when carl uh came on the show but um it, just, it isn't so. So we'll talk some things about the Shadow Dimension and what we were doing out there last September, uh, but we cannot divulge everything just yet. So, uh, Carl. Oh, there he is. <laughs> you <laughs> fell out of the screen for a moment. I was turning out my lights. Hi there. Uh, I'm, hey. um, as, as I was explaining to you a few minutes ago when we were doing our warm-up, uh, I'm, um, I'm doing well and was not doing well a month ago, a month and a half, two months ago, February. You had a real tough bout with COVID. Yes, I did. It's uh, more than I anticipated. I figured after uh, after the first ten days, I paid my dues. It was time to start getting over. Then it went on for two weeks, and I said, "Well, I guess uh, you know I'll build up some antibodies." And uh, after a month, I wasn't sure I was going to recover from it. It went on for ten weeks actually, with some dwindling sy symptoms. I can't say I recovered overnight and felt better, but I I did get remarkably better after that 10 weeks period. You know, it's uh, it's been lingering, but it's uh, it's almost uh, gone. I, I don't know if I have allergies now or or lingering symptoms or if it's a combination, but it's very, very mild now. I can I'm glad, you're, I'm glad you're better. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not always yeah, aware. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you yeah, so definitely much. Definitely glad that you're better. We were worried about there about you there for a while because it was, I mean, that had to really hit you hard and it was lingering so long. So mm -hmm. we're, we're happy you are uh, in much better health and spirits these days. Thank you. I had to tell, uh, you know, actually realize that I I might not have come through it at times. And I was thinking, I was actually thinking of you, Mike. I was saying, how is Mike going to take this? If I mean, uh, what's the paranormal community oh, going to say? You know, they'll have tributes for me and everything. My heart would have been broken. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it was it was rough. And I was thinking, but you, it's it's strange the things you think of at those times. Uh, you know, am I going, I really didn't know if I would pull through because there's so much unknown about it. I thought I probably would, but I, I had to doubt at times because it was just, uh, I would seem to get better and then I would have a relapse. So, uh, and it's hard to find your courage and fortitude at those times because you don't know what to draw on. You know, I'm not ready I'm uh, to go. I, I certainly don't want to leave life this way, you know, in this kind of illness. So, But uh, the flip side is now I'm celebratory now that I've recovered. It's like, you know, fresh yeah. lease on life, so appreciative of friends and family and, and everything. It's just seeing the sunshine in the morning, you know. Absolutely. Well, we gave you a nice tribute during that time on the Shadow Dimension Facebook page. We put up a bunch of photos of... You know, our uh, our time that we had back in the fall in September there at uh, at the Conjuring House and Slater Mill. And because uh, we had such a great time out there that week. We did. Yeah. I couldn't understand if I didn't go follow through with all the thank yous and, you know, thanks for the well wishes. Because I was funny. like, holding, I was in bed holding up my tablet like, ah, I, nice, <laughs> very nice. I want to sleep more. Right. Like that. So let, let's start talking about it. Um, so I was out there in Rhode Island when, dur during that spell last year in which COVID seemed to be waning a little bit before it reared its ugly he head again back in uh, the later fall. Um, and I was I was there that weekend of September 20th, and we did a number of, of different things. Uh, and one of those, of course, was the, uh, you know, everybody refers to as the Conjuring House these days. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had a uh, you know, very interesting investigation there. We had uh, you know, historic research there from uh, Elise. And I love this picture of, of you and Elise. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of holding papers here. It's, it's, like, it's like the two of you in action. Uh -huh. 
Well, you make a team, I will say that. And you notice there's a pheasant up on the wall, too, you know, hung up there. There is. There yeah. is. It's upside down. Does that mean something? Or... Well, yeah, they used to hang them to let them get a little gamey for a week or so. And, you know, they'd, always, they'd hang them upside down like that. Mm. But I think, that's, I think that was a long time ago for that. I think that's quite desiccated now, that pheasant. Yeah, we do look like a team there. They're very serious investigators there. Well, Elise has done, she's my para partner and uh, Panorama Paranormal and other ventures. She's done so much research on that house. Elise will always underplay what she does. She's very, she's modest in that way, but uh, she she went to town on that. You know, I was helping the current homeowners, Corey and Jen Heinzen out, you know, finding out some of the true history of the research apart from the myth of, of what had happened there. And there's a lot of myth associated with that house. Yeah, so. yeah I don't that know was one of the uh, the great things that Elise had had done when you know we were filming. I sat down with her, and uh, you know she and she handed me a bunch of you know those documents that are in my hand in in that photo. So yeah, I still have those here. Through. Yeah, and so she cleared up a lot of the um, you know misconceptions. Uh, oh yeah, that location, which you know you're very familiar with as well. Mm hmm. Well, Elise is a realist with her research. You know, she's not looking to find the ghosty. You know, she's not into that. She wants to learn. Uh, she wants to know the truth and she'll drive for that. And uh, she can be merciless sometimes. I mean, uh, she's not a rabid party pooper, but that's what people call her sometimes. I'll give you an example. No. Of Elise. <laughs> uh, Elise is the one and this really happened. Elise is the one, that, you know, people say. You notice every time we mention that name or we mention, mention Bathsheba that the lights start to dim? You notice that, I mean, that's happening. It's getting darker in here. Elise goes over and screws in the light bulb properly. <laughs> <laughs> and she doesn't do it in a mean way. She doesn't go see this. She just goes over and screws it in and, you know, uh, okay, why didn't anybody else think of that? But that 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 sums up Elise's approach right there. You know, she will... She would look for the truth behind it because, you know, why imagine when, you know, it's you're not going to enjoy your results if you're not sure of them. You know? But there's mm -hmm. I think the history of that house. We're talking about the, the, the house on Round Top Farm. Right. Uh, also known as the Conjuring House. That's rustic. That's very much what it looks like. Now, that's it. Yeah. A current picture. And you don't need to make up, you know, history for that house or or rely on the movie Falderal. it's the house is so fascinating in its own it's it was built in 1736 and it's you know if providence rhode island had only been founded a century before and there's so much to it and yes there is paranormal activity there's i think mike and i can attest and uh, but you don't need to believe that it's like so haunted it would drive people out or there's a demon within it just it stands on its own as a piece of history, American history, and just just a fascinating place to explore. Spooky. Yeah, right? it yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, it absolutely is. And there is a uh, there's a palpable energy about the place, and we kind of discussed that uh, a little bit. And something that I want to do here, uh, real quick, Carl, uh, sure. since you know, we're going to be talking about the the project that we were working on while uh, while I was out there. Uh, right. I do want to play the trailer for uh, the Ooh. Shadow Dimension to give people a taste. Yet. Yeah, H have you seen it yet? I saw the trailer once. Yes, I did, but I, I would okay. like to see. Okay. It. Yeah, and we and we started off with your voice. You have that really deep, resonant, fantastic <laughs> voice. Yeah, that, that voice a couple of months ago it was a little touch and go about that voice. You know, yeah. good to see you. <laughs> good to be anywhere. <laughs> All right, so we'll go ahead and play it here. Real quick. There's a kind of a hallway connecting the bedrooms. Coming down that hall was something. Something, I want to say black, but it was more like the absence of vision. Something dark. My first thought was there's a fire in the house and I'm going to smell smoke. It was somewhat rolling towards me, but formless, just darkness. So somebody had erased reality. Thank you. I have to sit down for a minute. You okay? <sighs> Can you take a camera? Yes, yes, certainly. Certainly. 
What's the matter, Mike? Uh, something over here, I don't know. I just think it's getting darker in here. I woke up in the middle of the night one night and there was this tall, dark figure standing in the corner of my room. What is this? Who are they? I, I tend to think they're from another dimensional space. I call it a gravitational distortion. It's all right over here. That's right. This yeah. is where the energy is. I think this is kind of an opening to another reality. So you can see all these connections that are interwoven. I have frequently described as a portal cleverly disguised as a farmhouse. That's the bedroom in which I had the experience when I was about eight years old. Amare, Ea, Glasorga. It had red glowing eyes. And that smoke came forth something in my face walking in here. I think something's happening here. All right, there it is. Impressive. So that should yep. be coming out next month. Next month now. Okay, good. Yeah. I know there was some stalling with it, you know. It's, it's there good. was because um, you know, originally I was just gonna go straight to Amazon with it and then like a month before I was, you know, set to do all that because you know, I was in post production and everything. They right. changed all their policies, and so basically, no independent um, documentary filmmakers are getting anything up there right now. And even talking to like the the, you know, some of the big distributors and aggregators, they're like, yeah, they're not taking anything from us right now because I guess they're revamping their policies or, or their terms or whatever they're doing. So um, I've had to find other distribution now, which delayed things but, but thank you so much for, for helping yeah. on that oh it was my pleasure from start to finish i mean going into a setting like that you know it's going to be a good documentary you, you know done your, we've done our research and we can talk about it but you don't know if anything really out of the ordinary is going to strike while you're there you hope something will happen <laughs> and it, it just it did it, it struck mike as a matter of fact <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was was that's true we all felt it we all did we all are experiencing activity there in fact we were going to stay about i think we we're going to planning for under an hour and it's like no no we're not going yet this is going this is getting good you know stuff's happening here anything from noises and thumps to uh just feeling overwhelmed you know like a wave washing over us but all the while feeling we didn't want to leave the place you know it's, it's welcoming we for some reason, we don't want to leave. We, there's something around the corner. There's something we have to find here. Just have that sense about it. Yeah, it's, it's an eerie looking old place because it is old. It's an old farmhouse. You know, so, I mean, naturally, you'd feel something there, I think. But what we felt was uh, it's difficult to describe a presence, you know, like the house had a personality. Just that overwhelming sense that we didn't want to leave yet. There was something to do there. We weren't sure what that was. But, yeah, I've uh, been in a situation like that before. And like you said, it was getting darker than dark. It was, yeah. I don't know, I've never seen darkness that dark, but it felt very peaceful. Like I'm supposed to be part of this. And so I just kept hanging around and hanging around. And I don't know. Like you said, it's yeah. welcoming. It, it is. Uh, it's weird. It's hard to describe. <laughs> And not to make a mountain out of a molehill, but it was getting that. Um, we weighed all the factors, like is you know the light outside affecting our vision? Is there something mm -hmm. like that? Or do we look at something bright? But no, it was uh, it was uncanny. The three of yeah. us were agreeing. That. I think Elise at the time was downstairs going through the library, doing doing yeah. more research. You know, while we were up there. <laughs> she was hitting the books while we were upstairs. Yeah, and, and this was the the yeah. big room in question here at that mm -hmm. middle bedroom. Yeah. That's where we started to feel it, to be sure. I mean, and we are not the only team or the only uh, researchers who have experienced something there, right in that room. That's where in you that room and, and right on the other side of that. Uh, uh -huh. And that's on the other side is where you had to sit down uh, for a while. And uh, yeah, it happens in there. Now, Andrea right. described it once as a portal disguised as a farmhouse. Is it the entire property, or is it just certain areas? Um, well, a lot of the, the last 45 years, I think it's been more of a, a farmhouse disguised as a portal, <laughs> I think, <laughs> because it's had so much notoriety. 
Um, but I know what she's saying there. You know, it's a, actually a very interesting way that she puts it because people get, I almost want to say sucked in, but, you know, drawn in to that house. Uh, some people leave that house feeling all depleted, like, oh, gee, I, I don't know what happened to me. I, I'm lightheaded. What is going on there? Other people say, you know, I felt so warm and so welcome there, but uh, virtually everybody agrees it's an interesting experience to be in that house. You feel it's a displacement. That's how I'd put it. Yeah, is you it could just, say the, just the house or is it the land too? Oh, the land somewhat too, because we've okay. hiked around the land, the property and all. It's just, you feel you're in a different reality when you're in that, you know, on that property. Um, being upstairs, I think, was the most profound experience we had there. You can feel it and hear things downstairs, but when we go upstairs, a whole different territory. There's, uh, of course, my story of the magic mirror there. Ah, there uh, is, right. There it is. That's there. That was what, when uh, Corey and Jen Heinzen had the closing on the house two years, uh, nearly two years ago in June that year, uh, 2019. Um, I went there and I wanted Elise to see that. Elise had not, well, she'd been in that house years before, but not uh, any paranormal investigation. So we went there and I int introduced her to the Heinzens. And as I was wandering around the house, congratulating the new owners, uh, I saw that rectangular mirror, that large mirror. I think that's the same mirror that was there when the Perrins owned this house, you know, uh, Roger and Carolyn Perrin or Perron, some people say. And I said, yeah, that looks, I, I think Norma Sutcliffe, the successive owner, she kept that in place. I just got to go look in that mirror. I haven't looked in that mirror in 40 years. And uh, when I looked at it, I had a distortion. It, I'm not, I like to think I'm not prone to imaginings, uh, visions. But I saw myself as I looked 46 years before, right in that mirror. And I'm thinking, what is going on here? I was sure if that I called someone from the next room, it would vanish. They wouldn't see it, or they probably wouldn't. But I was there for about a minute and a half just looking at my reflection. See, I, I don't know how long this will last, but I'm, I'm analyzing this objectively. I was seeing my reflection as I looked 46 years before. I was uh, 18 years of age again in my reflection. But my... My image was moving as I moved. I had my modern red polo shirt on, but I had long hair, shoulder length hair, just looked young. I said, I'm looking at myself from all those years ago. I, how has this happened? And, I started, yeah, and, and I started. There you are from those life. years ago. That's what I saw in the mirror. Yeah. I said, looking rather amazed. Yep. There I am with, uh, and that uh, lady in the middle is the elegant Lorraine Warren. There's another photograph that Donna, who is the case manager of, uh, the team, our investigative team, uh, she's the one in the white top. And the, the lady whose features are somewhat uh, wiped out, that's Carolyn Perrin. Donna has another picture of her that's much clearer, though. Oh, okay. Morin, when she first came to the house, she and Ed, her husband Ed. So I saw myself as I, as I looked there, and it was, it was bizarre. I said, I know I'm seeing this. Just let me remember, I did not dream this up. It's, it's really happening. Boy, what a letdown it was when I went into the... The bathroom, and they have this long mirror there. It's like, okay, now I see <laughs> reality. I saw a former reality. Now I see the current reality. And, well, uh, if, but, <laughs> if all time is exists at the same time, you know, it does in a sense. <laughs> Quantum mm -hmm. speculation, uh, which Elise can tell you. The more you read about it, this kind of the less you know. You don't learn more about it. <laughs> so much, so much speculative. But, I mean, that was a real experience. It's, it still allows me to think of it. And uh, there are time slippages in that house. Carolyn Perrin uh, experienced that back in the early 1970s. She, she came into that same room, saw a table with men in antique clothing sitting there with pewter tankards. They looked at her. She looked at them. I think for a moment, Carolyn Perrin was the ghost to them. Like, yeah, yeah, that's an amazing who that, story. Who was that slim wench, you know, with little clothing? <laughs> they, they just looked at her startled. And I, I think that was more than imagination. There's, there are things that grab you in that house. And uh, Yeah, we, we do have a couple of questions from the chat on that sure. on that note. So, Sarah Youssef, so do you, what do you think is happening at the Conjuring House? Some believe it's an interdimensional 
node where people can experience multiple timelines. And also, if I can find it down here, um, from Judy Wilson. Uh, whoops, clicked the yeah. wrong one. Uh, Me too, Pungai. Do you think? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you think it's a time portal? Yes, I do. Yes, and yes. It's uh, the house is a battery. There are many factors that could make it that way. Why are some old houses haunted and others aren't? I say haunted is a very general term. There's activity there. Uh, and many factors. It could be the, the geographic location of the house. Maybe it's, so to speak, at the right angle. It's receiving. Uh, it could be high concentrations of lime, lime content in the soil or under the soil. And certainly a lot of granite and quartz. Uh, and the long history of the house built in 1736. It's not that there was murder and mayhem in that house. No, certainly there was not. But it's just, it's at the right place. It could be on what we call a ley line. Uh, integral factors, making it a battery, making time distortions. And somebody, especially somebody who's intuitive or sensitive to such impressions, they're going to pick up on it first. Uh, I'm wondering if somebody could actually be lost in another dimension of time. I wonder if, well, the homeowners don't have any problem with that, but I wonder if I was there and now. I mean, I'm there often, but suppose I started touching that mirror or, you know, like willing myself to go into another time. I, uh, well, it worked on the gothic soap opera, Dark Shadows. They transcended time. Oh. Ah, yeah, Dark Shadows. Quentin. Quentin. Quentin Collins. I'm a member of the Dark Shadows Appreciation Society, yeah. Get out. Uh, I oh, no. <laughs> I met Mr. Fritt. I met Jonathan Fritter portrayed Barnabas the Vampire, Barnabas Collins. Barnabas. Yeah, one of the stellar moments of my life. Um, but I, but one thing, one storyline they had is they would go into a parallel time, and then they had to, the same actors portraying different characters in another time reality. But I think there's a time displacement there you can enter. I don't think you'll actually get trapped in it, but uh, maybe your soul could get trapped, you know, if you became obsessed with it. But uh, I think you can peer into another time. If you don't actually see it, you can feel it. You can experience it somehow. And I think that's what happened to me with the mirror. Now, Mike looked in the mirror, and I think his his features just kind of distorted and blurred. He didn't, didn't necessarily <laughs> get younger, but something weird was going on with that. And Elise looked in the mirror and said something strange was happening. Naturally, if you stare at the mirror, it's definitely strange. It is. There's something yeah. weird about that mirror. Hope they don't oh. auction it off. How old is that mirror? I mean, does it have like a silver backing least, to it? Or? It's at least 50 years old, and I believe it does mm -hmm. have a silver backing to it like the old mirrors do. Yeah. Uh, I didn't dare to pick it up and look at it because mm -hmm. of the uh, drop it or something. <laughs> the cursed oh. mirror. But uh, it's just a cool thing to have there. I mean, you can say the light coming in from the window can do something to your vision or something. But, you know, I ruled all that out. It's just... It was a strange, if it was an optical illusion, it was a darn interesting one for me. Well, you, you don't have hair down to your so shoulders these days, Carl. <laughs> no, I kind of have the Ben Franklin look if I tried that. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> no, there were some different, no, I knew I was. I was thinner. I was just better looking, uh, younger. It was just, it was just, it was just eerie. I Maybe. mean, to see myself as I looked when I first came into that house. Maybe the house remembered me. Because I came there when I was 18 years of age. That's when I first went there. Maybe you really were back 40 years and you were just seeing yourself then, currently, as you were seeing yourself now. Uh, there was a blending. Yeah, because you were back there, you know. Yeah, there was a blending of the two. I think it drew on some evanescent um, remnant of when, when I was there. Mm -hmm. uh, because as I, I experimented with it. I was not aware of what was going on. I could move. And, uh, however I turned, you know, my reflection mirrored me and did the same thing. It just, I look younger. I haven't been able to repeat it. I've tried since then under the same conditions and it just didn't happen. With the same mirror or just in general? Same mirror. Okay. Same mirror, same place, same house. Interesting. And, and at that time of day, you know, early sunny afternoon, like around 1230, a, uh, 1230 PM. And just, uh, I couldn't replicate that same effect. However, I tried. <laughs> Cool. Now, I bet you if I stared at that mirror for five minutes without blinking, you know, I bet you I'd get some kind of distortion. Something, <laughs> something bloody, Mary, bloody Mary, yeah. Bloody Mary, Bloody <laughs> Mary. Oh, yeah. The old fable. That was a fun it game. It could be the original Bloody Mary mirror. could be that old. Yeah. Well, we guys didn't play that game. That's a girly thing. That's, a <laughs> That's true, too. Yeah, we yeah, mm. guys really didn't play that. 
we did other well, things like walk around cemeteries and things. Yeah. We did that. We also did light as a feather, stiff as a board. I guess you guys didn't do that. But we did that yeah. recently. We that did it as kids. Festival. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, over at the SK Pierce House mm-hmm. in Gardner, Massachusetts. I was there two weeks ago and we tried that experiment. It marginal, marginal mm-hmm. kind of work. You know, somebody did become lighter. I know with time, if we'd given it more time, the person would have become notably lighter. But then a rather hefty yeah. guy sat on the bed. I said, oh, you're not going <laughs> to, we're not going to try this again, are we? No. But we had, we had fun with that night. Yeah. Now we would get people to levitate off the floor a couple of feet, you know, and then the girl would wake up and she'd fall, you know, <laughs> oopsie. <laughs> yeah. Then they'd think, oh. Yeah. Should not yeah, open drugs. <laughs> interesting party games. What do you think about table tipping though? Oh, I, I don't that. think that. I don't think that's been done at the the Conjuring House, the House in Harrison. Mm, like, not really, there, but uh, I've seen table tipping. Jury's out on that. You know, I think people want it to happen so much that they kind of make it happen that way. The, being sincere, you know, it only takes a little bit of tipping to make that table fall, and gravity takes over and pushes it around. And also, PK activity, psychokinetic force, comes into play, and it will propel the chair around. All explainable, but still rather mysterious and impressive yeah we did that a few years ago and the table actually took off across the room and i know the oh, lady um she wasn't doing it because she was an older lady kind of overweight and she had a d brace on and she made oh, the table go so well good for her yeah uh, that was exciting. <laughs> first time i experienced that was 1972 at rhode island college the team the investigative team that went to that house in harrisville all those many years ago we we would have guest speakers and uh, one guy was de- demonstrating table tipping and then we so oh, this is real i don't know how it, just how it works but it's happening mm-hmm. by the way you notice the setting i'm in i was surrounded by file cabinets and all that i am at the headquarters of the johnston rhode island historical society of which elise carlson is president at least your marco carlson is president of the society and there are documents that are uh, mid-18th century some of these you know you it, it's, it can be difficult to do. It's in the process of being reorganized. We have a, uh, someone who's doing archives now. But if you're looking for an article or some doing some research in this place, you, you go rabbit trailing so easily because you open something up. Oh, ooh, wow, it struck by lightning. Oh, yeah, Arnold. You know, and you find old family names. And you, you just want to read what you've got in your hand. So we, we all get trapped by that sometimes. No. So amazing. is is Elise around <laughs> to discuss a little bit about the uh, misconstrued history about the house? I wouldn't. So we discussed that a little it. bit earlier if she was going to. <laughs> well, she said she would bop onto the message board, but she was pretty tired. She did some very yeah. physical work today. I'll tell you okay. what she was doing. Uh, she's a cemetery conservator, among her many other interests. That's right. Elise, she doesn't just uh, dust off stones and you know take notes. Elise was moving headstones, tombstones around today. She was digging them out, picking them up, and putting them in their rightful place. I mean, she, she's restoring an old cemetery, well, they're all historic, but these are graves from, you know, the turn of the 19th century. Some, you know, infants who were born and died in the uh, 1700s. So she's doing a lot of research on this, but she's a hands-on researcher. She's digging up the stones and setting them up. You know, many of them had fallen over. She even dug one up out of the earth and set it up. So that's what Elise was doing with her morning. You know, and she just keeps busy all the time. She's always doing something for somebody. So she's probably a little tired. She might have already gone to bed. Ah, you know, right. I think she, I, I did see her down in the chat a little earlier. Good. So we do she thank said you. she would be in the chat in the beginning. She did send me a text message saying she's not going to make an appearance tonight. She's okay. All right. Take that's fine. No problem. Let's do a show but, with her. Um, yeah. <laughs> there you Coming go. Around, well, speaking of headstones, uh, speaking yeah. of headstones, one of the segue. sad things. Of, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> nice segue. Yeah. Speaking, um, there's a, I mean, there's a tragic, there's a tragedy associated with the house and the, um, you know, the grave of of Bathsheba Sherman, where they That's have, yeah, you know, there there was so much vandalism to that headstone that they have now uh, completely removed that, which is which is absolutely terrible. Yes, the tragedies that befell Bathsheba Sherman, Bathsheba Sherman, uh, Thayer Sherman, uh, 
they occurred after her death because she was maligned, her reputation. She was equated with being a demon witch, you know, as far as the movie said. And, you know, and that's what Ed and Lorraine Warren uh, labeled her, you know, that there was an evil presence in the house and they needed a name. So they came up with Bathsheba Thea Sherman, who was a real personage, a personage, uh, neighbor. And her stone has been chipped away. I spent when the movie was released and they, you know, talk about her in the movie. They started chipping away at people started randomly chipping away at the stone that was happening even before the advent of the movie. And it was so desecrated and it was, it was actually pulverized. It was finally restored by uh, Carlo and Betty Mancucci, who are, you know, premier uh, conservators. They pieced the stone together fairly seamlessly, but obviously it can't be returned to its spot. I mean, you can see where Bathsheba Sherman's grave is and Elise has been there, but uh there's uh there's a plan to put in a substitute stone you know to not too much of an expense so the old the old stone of course is irreplaceable in a larger sense you know it's it's Bathsheba Sherman stone so that's that's put away someplace undisclosed location so nobody can chip away at it anymore my brother was appalled Keith when he went to see it he said oh Keith went to see it about eight years ago and he was like Oh, this is this is terrible. And they've torn, torn it, they, they pulverized it. It was chipped away in it and then it was just in pieces, a pile of stone. But the Mincucci's put it together. You know, they're a president and uh, I believe vice president of the uh, Boroughville Historical Society. And they they actually are professional conservators and stone restorers. Oh, so they good. they pieced that together like a puzzle. And they got it. So it's so we won't be able to see it, but that's that's fine with me. I have seen it. You know, yeah, yeah, I have photos of it from um, a few years ago when I was there, and it it had already been like broken into like yeah. big chunks, put put back together and and right. replaced it there on the site, and so I was able to see it then, and it has since been removed. Uh, but you know, for for safekeeping, we have some other questions coming in from the chat. Um, you know, speaking about the Conjuring House, our chat moderator Alina has a question here. Uh, do you think people who spend enough time there leave a part of themselves there? I think I did. Yes, I do. Uh, it's a very astute question. I think that people who have been there a while, I think the house remembers it. As I like to say, I don't think it's so much that the farmhouse is haunted as it it, it is the haunting. It's the personality. It's a, It's almost like a living being. I think the house does have a memory through principles we can't quite understand. And yeah. I think the house will remember people if they made an impression there, if they've been there long enough, if it likes them. It tends to spit out people it doesn't like. That's, those are the people who get the migraines and feel sick to their stomach and wonder if there's something yeah. in the water and they have to leave. Other people have quite a pleasant experience. Most people do, and they want to return. Uh, yeah, I think that house does. I'm convinced that house does remember people. I think that's why I saw my reflection in the mirror. I mean, I tell it as a like a funny story, but it's I, I really do think that house was telling me it remembered me. Yeah, it's definitely extremely interesting with that mirror. Um, a question specifically about shadow phenomenon. This is from yes. Sarah Youssef. Do you believe that our movements and actions are the cause of shadow phenomena in other dimensions? Uh, I think shadow people are uh, inextricably intermeshed with we living people on the earthly plane. I don't know. They're probably dependent on us for their existence. Uh, case in point, they look like human beings just in shadow. Uh, we, I don't think we'll ever fully understand. I don't think we'll even get a good grasp on what shadow people are, what that phenomena is. But why do they resemble us? Why do they seem to have generally, sometimes they're formless, other times, and generally they are, they look like persons, but being cast in shadow and they dart around, they're in a different time frame. In fact, uh, I wanted to tell you, especially Mike, that, uh, Elise and I were addressing a case in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, recently, as in last week. And the uh, lady who uh, rents there and her brother both witnessed the shadow person. They described the same thing to each other, was going around the corner at the time. I mean, they throw everything we think we know about paranormal research and ghost out the window. You know, they're just, there's something strange. I think they are connected to us. Sometimes they're even seen wearing clothing. Clothes, shadow yes. people, hats, cloaks, and uh, 
uh, I don't know what they, they baffle me. Yeah, but I think they are tied in. I don't think they could be something totally separate from us because they seem to resemble us too much. They have appendages, they have a torso, you know, a trunk, a head. Other times they're just black and oozing things, and, which is what happens at the, uh, at the house in Harrisville. You know, I don't know. Have you made up your mind, Mike, about them? You've written a book about them. You've spoken about them numerous times. You've researched. You've traveled to research them. You came to Rhode Island to look up our shadow I, ghosts. Yeah, specifically to research them. And uh, between Rhode Island, we did Slater Mill. We'll get to that here in a little bit. Um, I went out to Mineral Springs where I've seen, you know, kind of like you, Carl, the the shadow smoke. And, uh, and this was in, in 2019. And that shadow smoke actually... Uh, morphed into the apparition of a little girl. So I, I think that there are a number of different things. I think some of them are human spirits. Some of them are interdimensional beings. Some of them could be ETs. They could be time travelers, like we were talking the time slips earlier. So I think that there are a lot of different things. I don't think we can attribute it to just one specific thing. I think that these are a, a number of different things that we're seeing uh, from time to time as shadows. I don't think we're supposed to see them. I don't think they're necessarily hiding from us, but I don't think, you know, we just have the ocular propensity to, to see these things. And if they are close enough to us, they manifest and look human. But I think this is as much as our eyes can take in or our mind's eye. We glimpse them. They're probably ghosts. And uh, we see a distorted version of them. They don't quite, quite crystallize for us. They don't become like living people to us unless they're around long enough. And then they tend to look like people. But I think that's the rudiments of seeing a ghost when you, the shadowy forms. Or maybe not. We, yeah. we had we had one around us this weekend, um, Friday. I kept seeing him out of the corner of my eye, out the window. And I kept telling my friend, there's something moving out there. And, you know, we kind of brushed it off. And so we were playing around and she threw open the door and she goes, who's out there? And she had my little SLS camera. I'm like, oh, and I saw yes. it go by. And right when she did the SLS camera, picked it up too. So there was something out there. I don't know if he was just hanging around going, who's out here? Because we were out in the woods, but, you know, that's where well, we're standing. I tend to, I lose, yeah, Victoria, I lose my interest in shadow people like UFOs. You know, I, if I don't experience them, especially mm -hmm. for long periods of time, eh, well, they're nice to talk about, but what are they? Then I'll see one or think I see one, and then it's like I'm interested again. Okay, there was the shadow person. Yeah. You know, uh, I'll give you an example of a shadow ghost also on the, the Slater Mill campus. As you know, Slater Mill yeah. has been closed down, but it is uh, recently, as of last week, has been officially acquired by the National Park Service. So they will eventually be opening for tours. I won't be part of that unless I just go there. Oh, the Wilkinson Mill is home to a bona fide shadow person. <laughs> I can attest. People were talking about that before I saw it. When I first went there, people said there's a shadow person in they didn't even say shadow person. There's some shadow in there. There's a person, a gray man. It would scare people. It would freak them out. Um, but also in the house, yeah, that's inside those walls. Never outside, but inside those walls. Those three-foot-thick rubble stone walls is uh, the home of a shadow ghost. Um, actually, he gave me, Carl. there's our photograph. He, it got caught. When a shadow ghost are photographed, it's always incidental. Now, this shadow over on the, uh, from our perspective, the right side of the screen, that's actually the giant water wheel that powered the mill, and it was still functioning. Um, but what you see back there, for the first couple of years I had that photograph, it's actually from a local newspaper, the Sun Chronicle. I thought it was the lady in the white top casting that shadow until I realized her shadow is underneath where the red arrow is. That's her shadow. Yeah, I can see the outline of her, her hair. And... What is in back of her looks, looks anomalous. And I went there and photographed them. You know, when I saw that, the next day I was back there trying to get, is that some dark spot on the wall? Nope. Could not replicate that. To the best of my knowledge, uh, knowledge, uh, there's the, <laughs> our shadow person got caught in that. You can see his extended, its extended arm. I say he because it was only men employed in the water wheel pit back when that was a working mill. And it's an eerie picture. Inconclusive, but it's like, the thing looks like it's wearing a cloak and a hat. I don't know. It's just, that's our shadow person. I have seen the shadow person um, three times, actually seen it. And there's a photographic imprint. And then we have another photograph of it that's less 
clear, but it's blocking out part of the part of the photograph. Um, in the another house on the grounds is the Sylvanus Brown House, a name for one of the people who was an architect for the mill, uh, Slater's Mill. And that house was built in 1758. So there's uh, there were uh, at least two spirits in that house that we recorded or photographed and uh, heard often, even with guests coming through the house and tours. Now, we were giving an evening tour once, and uh, I and the lady, it was actually for somebody's birthday. It was their, you know, birthday party became a paranormal investigation. And I saw somebody go around the corner, and the lady who was, you know, had booked the, uh, the site for that evening saw it as well. Just somebody, you know, innocuous, turning around the corner, going upstairs. Oh, no color to it, just something, you know, black or dark. And I said, uh, they're, they're not supposed to go up there. That's off limits. And so the young lady went, yeah, you're not supposed to go up there. That's closed off. So I didn't hear anybody walking around up there. So I went upstairs and I had her come with me. Nobody was up there. And that was a, a shadowy form that just went around the corner, solid seeming. I, I actually thought it was somebody had wandered up there to the uh, the second floor, if you count the, the kitchen, the third floor of the Sylvanus Brown House. So that's two areas where there was a shadow ghost. I don't think it was the same shadow person, but that's another thing I saw that involved a shadow person at Slater Mill Campus. I wish it was still open because we could uh, do some. Oh, yeah. yeah that was, uh, I was looking forward to getting in there, but by the time we got out there last fall, they had, they had closed it up. And we were able to walk around outside, but we couldn't get in, which was. Yeah, well, same thing with me. I, I've heard, you know, just different stories about it supposedly all the locks were changed that's just something my key my key would have worked in there but i didn't have the temerity to just walk in there you know well, yeah i mean at that point it would have been trespassing so you don't want oh, to do you that. couldn't just jimmy open a window and pull <laughs> <laughs> would have been, i've seen people trying to do that during that i've watched them with a dull fascination from the gift shop when i was working there and they were all dressed in black they're obviously paranormal investigators they get a little you know recorded with them and they're trying every which way and they're trying the windows i'm just gonna watch them because i know they can't get in you know? <laughs> i mean i'll get outside quickly if they tried but i mean if they tried too hard but uh yeah i just figured we'd probably be ushered out if i opened the door to the wheel pit but, but you, you know my you say, around, i'm carl i'm carl johnson <laughs> you know that, that has some clout some places but i don't yeah. think it despite the fact that i was there for 14 years i don't think i would be particularly welcome there uh i don't know it was the you know height of the covid scare so oh, yeah true. one of the heights of the real COVID. quick real quick we have a ten dollar super chat from tom mcnicholas he says surprise very cool carl's great so thank you very much yeah. tom for the ten dollar super chat we absolutely appreciate that i'd buy that for ten dollars sure <laughs> he's sneaking in from work to do that so thank you tom oh thank he's not here for work yeah i just yeah. didn't do it yeah, but we might yeah. <laughs> there's a possibility, Mike, that we could get to Slater Mill, but we'd be, I would feel kind of strange because I would be a tourist. And I was on the other side of, you know, giving the right. tours for so long. But I would do it so just so we could see that. They're usually pretty congenial. It'd be interesting. If we said, can we linger here and take some pictures, we could probably do that. Mm -hmm. You know, ghosts, they don't show up on queue. Also, <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah. You can't make it happen on demand. But, um, yeah. I have a comment here out of the chat from Pungai Fungi. Uh, she says, I wonder if all structures have a degree of self-awareness. And Carl, one of the things that you've said many, many times is that you believe buildings and structures uh, can contain memories. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? I think the structure of a building, the materials from which the building is constructed, can actually have memories, emanations encoded into those materials, you know, like the stone, the wood, the mortar. I think they absorb the memories that it's vibrational and under certain conditions, those memories are replayed and then we have our ghosts. Like uh, Lana Brock, Lana Jan Brock, my co-author with Shadow Realms, she has written on that. that uh, she has a theory that, uh, well, matter is vibrational and therefore it, it can be encoded these vibrations can be encoded into a building, you know, into the physicality, even the air of the building, you know, and the, the presence of the building, the ether, if you will. 
And those memories are there. They're cogent. They're solid. You just have to hit the right vibration, like plucking the string of, of a guitar, musical chord, you know, it vibrates. And on, when, when that happens, when that occurs, if you do it just right, even unintentionally, the ghost will appear or, you know, the ghost will be aware or seeming to be aware. They have a limited awareness. The ghost essentially exists for a time and then it goes back into a state of non-existence. If you know what I'm saying, it's like an old record player or, or a CD or DVD, it, you know, it plays itself and it's real. It, it's aware for that limited span of time. Then it goes into stasis and non-existence again, but it's always there in a sense. That would explain some things that happen. But I think that's how it operates without giving too much of a technical explanation, which I don't have. You know, I think that's what happens. Um, if you get into something as minute as tachyons, which is, you know, particles that are so infinitesimally small that they go through matter. You know, like we have uh, tachyons that come from our sun, from soul, that actually go through our bodies at any given time. And they are so small that they actually defy the, you know, the laws of time. Like, you know, the basic law of thermodynamics is that nothing can be created or destroyed by ordinary chemical means. The axiom about time is that nothing can reach or travel faster than the speed of light, except for photons. Well, that's true. I elaborate a little bit on that. Nothing can approach or travel faster than the speed of light until it does. Because under certain <laughs> conditions, they do. Certain particles can transcend that barrier of the speed of light. Uh, you know, the, the theory of the expansive universe. How did the universe, when it was born after the Big Bang, how did it expand so rapidly faster than light? Well, because it was in its own reality. It was in a containment. And in that reality, it could expand because it was creating the universe. It wasn't just putting it aside. So our laws of physics went out the window or hadn't been born yet, I might say. So, yeah, it's a, it's a freaky universe in which we live and move. Um, so it's not too hard to for me to imagine that there could be some remnant a former residents of a house that are played back in a home. And they are so, there's so much substance to these playbacks, these residuals, that they are aware of us at times. Some of them just go about their business. Some days they stop and look at us. Like we, when I was training in, you know, paranormal studies and parapsychology, we had these different and definite categories. There was the, um, the ghost, the human spirit, interactive, you know, the residual, the atmospheric quantum playback. There was the uh, interactive spirit, the intelligent haunt, which was a ghost that's aware of us, and the poltergeist, which they thought was just, you know, created by uh, by a person, and then the demons, which we don't even need to talk about. The, actually, I, my definition of a demon is a poltergeist with an attitude. And uh, <laughs> so I'll go with that for now. Um, but I found out in, in, in my experience that these categories blur. They're not so definite after all. You can get a residual haunt. You know, it goes about its business. Just somebody who worked in an old mill, which I've experienced, you know, they're seen. Uh, some, or it's, you know, a Civil War battle scene. You just see that reenacted or a Civil War hospital, America's Civil War. But if you observe these apparitions frequently or long enough, they, after a while, they turn and look at you. They look at the spectator. They, they have a quasi, at least a quasi awareness of us, you know, and uh, poltergeist, they do things that, you know, like you think of poltergeist as just picking up and throwing things around, but poltergeists get very creative. Sometimes they can appear as a, a form, an apparition. Sometimes they have voices. Sometimes they play games like winding bed sheets around in the form of people sitting at tables. So poltergeist have an intelligence to them. They're not just pk activity and nothing else more you know nothing more to them so it, it's very indefinite and i think that uh, sometimes these ghosts come to life for a while you can that's talk interesting you say that about uh poltergeist because i've um I, I think a lot of the you know terminology the semantics of it has kind of gotten enmeshed these days because you know mm -hmm. a poltergeist at least to me is you know a spirit that you know like you're saying, is moving things around, manipulating things, maybe throwing an object. But PK activity, we've kind of attributed to poltergeist these days. But to me, that's, okay, you know, 
somebody's PK activity that is acting out like a poltergeist. And so it's poltergeist type activity, but not necessarily a poltergeist itself. That is to say, it's dependent on the person, you know, living entity, living person. Um, we wonder if people actually create the poltergeist. I don't think poltergeist pre-existed the human race, no, but uh, like most ghosts, if not all ghosts, they seem to be uh, dependent on human interaction, a human observing them, a human being there. Uh, like if people cease to exist, where would all our ghosts be? I think they'd be out of business. Yeah, I think we, <laughs> I think we produce the ghost, and I'm not saying we imagine them. I'm saying some part of our mind can conjure them, can make them real. You know, they come from us. They're interdependent on us, and uh, they wouldn't be around without us. So it's a symbiotic relationship between yeah. the spiritual world and, I guess, our brain. My, my gum, our ghosts need us. Don't let them tell you otherwise. <laughs> Not, a lot of them are antisocial, but they, boy, they depend on us. Yeah. I mean, are ghosts floating around a room like, a, say, Slater Mill, like the big museum area? Are those ghosts there when we're not? Maybe, but they're not doing a heck of a lot. I don't think they're socializing with each other. I think we need people to bring those out. And, oh, fond memories of Slater Mill. For somebody who's in a paranormal enthusiast, uh, researcher like myself, what a pleasure it was to, I mean, you know, had his tedium and all that, but to work in a haunted setting. Granted, most days, most hours were business as usual, but we'd have a corporate dinner or a wedding reception hosted by the mill. And I'd be there at like 20 past 11 at night, and I'd hear the dunk, 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 your chairs being <laughs> shot around. And I'm not the last one out of the building. I It was so definite. I Every time I think the caterers are still there, somebody's still there. So I go, okay, you know, what's our time frame? Nobody up there. Yeah. <laughs> and there's in that building that happened up there. You're shuffling around and moving and all that. And we'd be giving tours. I know I had the experience and some of my coworkers did. I'm giving a tour in the middle of the day. Here, one example, two men speaking to each other. Couldn't quite discern what they were saying, but two men speaking. And so we stopped and I guessed her looking around. I'd resume the tour. The two men start speaking again. I said, folks, you just get used to it after a while. But what a pleasure to, to work. I'm like, yes, another story. <laughs> uh, I wish it happened more often. Well, I was there a lot. So maybe that's why I experienced it. And you know, just playbacks you, out of time. Have you found there's like certain types of persons who would totally freak out when something like that would happen? And then there's like my friends and I who are like, well, that just happened. Okay. Oh, yeah. I'm proud of that. <laughs> well, of course, I organized ghost hunts at the Slater Mill. That was a program I started, you know, mm -hmm. which really took off. And uh, I started for Slater Mill. And uh, it, it, those are, they're almost like audience plants. You know, you want people to be a little, you know, that's the fun of it. It's like being on a roller coaster, you, you're not mm -hmm. quite buckled in right. You don't know if, you know, am I going to go fly out of this thing? So, it's, it's fun to be a little scared under controlled conditions. And that's why mm -hmm. the ghost hunts are so popular. And yeah, you get the serious parent like yourself, you know, serious paranormal investigators that usually just wanted to document experience and enjoy it. But some people, you know, they'd freak out, you know, what are you here for? If you, you know, don't you want to be scared? Some of them like, Oh God, Oh no, Oh no, yeah, I was done. Exactly. I saw it. I saw it. <laughs> it you exactly. know, yeah. I didn't even have to pay for this. It's almost like audience plants to have people like that. I, I like them when they would be like that. I would take full advantage of that. Like one time early in the ghost hunts, this this goes back to uh, 2008, and the ghost hunts had already been around for a couple of months, and it's like uh, October, towards the end of October. And one young lady, she was there with her boy. It was a full room, but we kept the lights down. And She's, I heard her talking. She didn't quit it, quit it. She thought her boyfriend was touching the back of her neck. <laughs> and then she saw, but she, she knows fingers, you know. And then she saw he was at the other side of the room. She <laughs> let out a scream like a horror movie. Why did I take advantage of that? I said, all right, everyone remain calm. Move to the center of the mill. Now, miss, could you explain your experience? Share this way. What did you just feel? And so that was gold. Moments like that. I just think, now I know why. Now I know why I do this. Play to the audience. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. We have Genuine. a uh, make up anything there. True. Comment here from the chat from Dark Horse Paranormal Productions. The tours were great. The history of the children working in that mill is chilling. Oh. Wait, there's a grim reality to this. I mean, of course we had fun with the ghost hunts because, you know, but you'd also have this feeling of like, this isn't right. You know, it's damp. It's chilly in here. I mean, you know, this is where people worked and children were maimed in mm. uh, the archaic machines. You know, you just feel a kind of solemnity there. And you were always aware that this was the site of egregious accidents with real mm -hmm. work staff, especially children. It was a time when children as young as eight, some of them six years old, could work in the mill. Now, that sounds horrendous, but it was just their their way of life. And most, most days were okay, I'm sure. But there were terrible accidents. They happen now in workplaces. They certainly happened back then. And uh, we thought we had the ghost of a little boy in with us. His name was Jacob. Jacob was interactive. J Jacob would come out if I coaxed him. So I never lost sight of that this was a reality. You know, that it, even if you don't believe in the paranormal phenomena or you attribute it to something else, this is where people lived and died in this mill. I mean, this was the site of the, the inception of the American Industrial Revolution you know, in 1793 right there in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. Uh, so, wow, what a place to be. And to have the lights down low and uh, illuminated by moonlight coming in and you're actually on a ghost hunt and things are happening. Yeah. What an ambiance. What an ambiance. So, yeah. So you're, real really, you're really bringing history to life, I guess you could say in a way. I was actually performing yeah. a service for people because I always did it mm -hmm. respectfully. You know, mm -hmm. I always thank the spirits, you know, please do not follow us. This is your place of, of work. I said, but we thank you. And I would always say to Jacob, I said, we hope you find the peace you are seeking. You seem a little lost to us. We think Jacob was a little boy there. Jacob came over an ovalus one. And I had been thinking of the name Jacob that day. Jacob keeps popping into my head. And then it produced Jacob. Somebody captured Jacob on an EVP and an audio recording. So I said, okay, we'll call on ghost Jacob. He seemed to be a little boy because one phenomenon in Slater's Mill was a cold spot that would travel around and it would start about three feet off the ground. It was definite. You put your hand into it, take your hand out. Yeah, there's something that feel a little tingly and electric. Uh, so that was child size. Uh, so we speculated that this is maybe our little, we'll treat it as a little boy ghost. I don't know why I kept thinking it was a little boy and not a little girl. Uh, until one evening, a lady at the ghost hunt took a photograph and it was Jacob. It was the form of, it looked like a doughboy. Wow. But it was a human form, a compact, like a child. You see the darkness where the eyes were. And I said, miss, please, I'd be so appreciative. If you share your photograph with me, just send that to me at Slater mill, or here's my email address. If you want to use that? I never, she's told me she would, but I never heard from her. never got the picture, but it was impressive. That's what would happen. Somebody would say, excuse me, Mr. Carl, I, I have a picture. I think I got something. I'd go over and say, everybody, come over and look. <laughs> and you'd get some strange, you'd get spirit forms in their pictures. And you get recordings right there on the spot. I said, this is a success, you know. But it was a, you know, it was, have to stay late and, you know, close up and count the money and everything. But what a, what a joy, what a unique experience to have had that, to have been able to have done that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, on that note with uh with jacob there is a question in uh in the chat on the facebook side not the youtube side but the facebook side uh, how can you tell if they are actually children's spirits that's from sherry again speculating guessing guessing it's children's spirit because we knew the children work there and uh why not be children's spirits you know they don't necessarily have to be someone who a child who died in the mill because i know that happened uh, sure it was rare, but did happen uh, because the children are working in all kinds of heat, you know, hot conditions, you know, uh, accidents. But uh, it became real because we interpreted many of these spirits as, as children. So maybe they actually, the, the spirits, whatever their source, maybe they became spirits for that. Maybe they became children for that limited time. 
Oh, they weren't all children, to be sure. That's why we believe that, you know, when it sounded like a child and behaved like a child, we thought it played hide and seek with us, come up and tap people, tickle people. Uh, <laughs> they weren't all lovable little lost children because we, uh, we had a wise guy. I called him wise guy. Uh, I'll give you an example. We were in that uh, colonial cottage, the Sylvanus Brown House, and it was, um, it was actually... It wasn't Halloween night. It was the night before. It was October 30th one year. And my brother and uh, one of our guides, Jan, they were recording. My brother had his re old faithful recording going, recorder. And he gave it to the, the recording for me to analyze it. So you definitely have a voice there. And it's male. So I'm listening to it. I turn up the volume. and It sounds like it's saying, don't rock the fork. Don't rock the fork. Hmm. It doesn't make any sense. And I, I, so I listened to it again. I said, oh, that's not what it's saying. It's like they said, you know, because uh, my brother had said something and Jan said something like, you know, we're going to leave you now. And then you hear the male voice. What it's really saying is now what the, you know. <laughs> fork, fork, like a eating utensil. I don't know if you do what they do that's with right. the paranormal, if you just bleep out cuss words or something, beep, you know, but yeah. They weren't saying fork. They were saying something more vernacular. Right, you know? right. Well, it used to be back in the day, it was called, you know, a fock, but changed the pronunciation a little bit. But that's modern talk. I mean, you know, now what the, you know, so I call that spirit wise guy. That's not a cute little girl or something, you know? Right. And uh, yeah. And while a colleague of mine from Black Cross Paranormal, Riley Black, was there, she was recording while she was walking in between the buildings and uh, somebody called her, you know, like a uh, hot girl. You know, so, <laughs> I mean that these things, whatever they are, they don't have bodies. They don't have brains, but they've got senses of humor. They talk, they joke, they, they're rebel. They, you know, like uh, you know, cute girl, you know, <laughs> you know, like, okay, you're not a little child who died in the mill. You know, the fact that you get different personalities just blows my mind. Right. It's one, I love my ghostly community there. Yeah, yeah, it's it's absolutely amazing. We are uh, we are at the end of our show. There's one more question that, from the chat that I wanted to uh, to ask you, Carl, and this is from Betty. It was a lot earlier on, so I can't pop it up here on the screen. But, Might be the uh, Betty I know. Yeah, yeah, Betty. Oh, Betty Lange. No, she asks. After COVID, has anything towards the paranormal changed for you? Yes. Oh, yes. My appreciation of the paranormal, I don't feel so detached from it as I did. Um, I had visitations that first week when I was terribly ill. Well, I mean, I was actually terribly ill. It was pretty terrible for me for a couple of months. and you, It's because it was something I couldn't shake. But as far as drawing me closer. I definitely had some transcendental experiences. It's not that I saw the, the light, you know, but I did, uh, I did. Yeah. Because I had to contemplate my own mortality. Um, I started dreaming of my parents who were both now deceased. My mother died the year before and, you know, at age 94, very nice life. And we were with her, you know, sad, but I'm so glad that my mother, expired when she did because if she had lived another six months we couldn't have seen her they would have they would have diagnosed her with covid even if it wasn't and she would have been isolated All right but i started to see my parents and they looked younger they looked vital and younger and i started to see them as waking dreams like on, they were on the other side of my bedroom door now you'd think that might be comforting but for me it's like uh i don't what are you guys doing here you know, I'm not ready to be ushered if that's why you're here. Right. And uh, demons, I got to see some very distinct, disturbing substances or oh, apparitions, wow. whatever you want to call them. I think that's how my mind interpreted them. But this is and see these forms telling you to me, I'm not going to pull through. You know, it was, yeah, it just broadened my scope. It gave me more insight into them. You know, I was on the edge. Now, there were people that were vastly more ill than I, but it was, you know, uncertain because I didn't know. There's no manual to tell you, well, that we know more now. Right. 
we did even some months ago. But I didn't know where it was going to go. They couldn't tell me. And uh, yeah, I did. Uh, I saw strange things in my bedroom, forms moving about. And I don't think, I don't attribute all that to hallucination. You know, I think I was seeing things because I was blending with another reality. I was in such physical distress that I wasn't filtering it. You know, I think these things are, these impressions are around us. And I was more aware of them because I was just concentrating on like, I just want to get well. That's what I want. I want to stop feeling this misery. And uh, when you shut out, you know, extraneous things that you normally, normal distractions, you start seeing other things. And I believe I wasn't, I was viewing other realities for a time. It heightened my awareness of other realms, other existences. I don't understand them any better, but I could perceive them better. All right. Well, thank you very much, my friend, for joining us this evening. It's been absolutely fantastic talking to you as usual. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, And I am happy that you're feeling so much better. Thank you. And I'm glad we got to reminisce. I mean, what an ordeal since I saw you and we just had a good time. I said, oh, we're going to pack it up. We'll run out of time for all the things we wanted to do. And then I go through this dark passageway, this dark transition. And here I am again, you know, like, well, a lot has happened since I spoke with you last it has, but you know what? We have a lot more to do. Um, yeah. Before we go, can you please let everybody know who's watching and then listening later when this goes up as a uh, audio podcast, where they can find you? I'm not too hard to find. You can find me through two websites. Um, there is uh, well, there's Duo Demonology with James Anito, and uh, that's, a, that's a simple handle. Uh, the link to that is www.demonology, spelt the regular way with a Y, demonology.org. Or at, uh, let me see, well, there's my Facebook page, and I, I'm mm-hmm. with uh, Panorama Paranormal with Elise Jumarco Carlson, and that's a Facebook page. I'm, on Facebook, I'm probably the only Carl L. Johnson in the state of Rhode Island who's listed as a demonologist. Uh, <laughs> there's Demonology Incorporated. And that's uh, with HTTP, demonology.inc.wixsite.com forward slash home. So you might have to do a little pecking around for um, Demonology Incorporated, but you know you try it a few different ways, you'll, you'll find it. And when in doubt, go to my Facebook page. I'm there sometimes. Um, my email address for those of you with photographic memories or jotting it down is you know, I take questions through this email. It's carcosan at live.com.com, C A R C O S A N um, at L I V E.com. So. Be sure to check out Carl's book and grab this at uh, Amazon Shadow Realms Demonology Handbook. Fascinating read. That's sure. how it's titled. It's the handbook there. Yeah. So if you really want to find me, you'll find or give Mike a. You know, shoot him a line. He'll he'll tell you. Mike, <laughs> That's true. You can just yeah, ask me and mess up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, not that hard to find. Yeah. yeah, you're not. You're not. You're easy to find. So, Carl, thank you very much, my friend. Yeah, Absolutely my, appreciate my, it. My, and uh, you know, continue. I I know you're kind of at the tail end. We still got a you know a little bit going on. So hope that clears up uh, fully for you yeah, very soon. Yeah, you know, Yep, and maybe we'll have the uh, lovely Elise Carlson on next time. Who knows? And then she'll have That'd to be, be great. camera for an hour. <laughs> yeah, no ducking that. Yeah. All right. Have a great night, Carl. Take care. Thank Bye. you so much. My pleasure. Good night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.